Hello everybody, welcome to Views from the 573. How are you all doing this week? Yeah, we're back a little bit early here on a Monday. But we had some big stuff to talk about that happened uh, not too long after we uh, did last week's show. Uh, but we've had subsequent stuff come out or that, so it's probably best that we do it now when things are popping off. And I'm pretty sure you guys know what I'm talking about with uh, what's, what's going on with Texas and Oklahoma. But we're going to be talking about that here today. Some NFL stuff we're going to be continuing, our NFL preview. We are going to be doing the AFC North this week. And to give you a short little preview of what Peter thinks about the AFC North, particularly the Steelers side, he hopes they lose every game. <laughs> so it's on brand for Peter to say that. So we're going to take a look at the Steelers along with the Ravens, Matt's Ravens, and see what I had to think about the team that knocked my times out. So uh, <laughs> we'll talk about them, the Bengals, the Browns, all that here for the AFC North preview. Some other stuff, the Olympics are going on, all that good stuff that's coming up on this week's show we might end up doing a friday show uh i've been thinking about it we might end up doing a friday show because we got the nba draft coming up on thursday so uh i might do a little friday pod and talk about the draft some thoughts on that and you know i might uh say, just say screw it and uh do it afc south preview and wrap up the afc this week and we'll move on to the nfc uh next week with the uh i guess we'll do what we did uh, and we'll do the inverse, and we'll do the NFC East, and we'll talk about that division, uh, which, oh boy, talking about the Cowboys, yay, that's fun. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, that's where we're going with uh, for the next couple shows, possibly. So, with that being said, let's get right on to it, and we're just going to start with the biggest thing that, that we left off Wednesday. It's been all over the news. Sports-wide, in general, and as Texas and Oklahoma. Subsequent stuff has been coming out in the days after that there's some thoughts that, hey, Texas and Oklahoma reached out to the SEC. Well, now it's looking like they are officially leaving the Big, the Big 12 and trying to make a move to the SEC. It sounds like from subsequent meetings that they've had with various people in the Big 12, Sounds like they are voicing their intent right now to leave the Big 12 Conference and head on over to the SEC. And again, this uh, this kind of started getting some traction on Wednesday. So as you can bet, I have a lot of notes on some stuff uh, about what's happening. A lot of articles that I've read throughout the days after that. And also... We, me and Peter had a big discussion about, hey, you know, if if this happens, how's everything going to go down? Like, conference realignment, all that stuff. And I'll start by saying this. You know, SEC Media Days, A&M was up, and A&M, Jimbo Fisher gets asked about this with uh, A&M in Texas. No love lost there between those two programs. And... You know, they mentioned that it's been 10 years really since A&M and Missouri came into the SEC. I'm like, has it really been 10 years since like our last big conference realignment thing that we all went through? In fact, yeah, it's been about 10 years. And to be honest, it's kind of crazy to think of that. It's been 10 years since A&M and Missouri have been the SEC and everything else that went down with it with the 
Pac-12, Big Ten. It it's kind of crazy to to think about uh, with all with all those schools changing up and you know. So now we're at another point ten years later where we're we're having serious discussions about conference realignment, and <laughs> I'm sure it's not going to take another ten years to get to some more serious conference realignment because with what's been said about this. There's no shortage of options into which, like, there could probably be at least three or four super conferences. And uh, I know, I think somebody was pointing that out ten years ago. I, I I feel like there were some people that were talking about that, you know, hey, we might have some super conferences. Trust me, with what's been talked about now, ain't seen nothing like that yet. Absolutely not. So, why did, and why did Texas and Oklahoma want to leave the Big 12? Well, and go to the SEC. It's money. I mean, that's the short of it. I mean, that's why. That's why they, they want to make the move to the SEC. Money, all that good stuff. Also, if you look at the Big 12 schedule, I mean, yeah, going to Kansas, Kansas State, doesn't really hype any Texas and Oklahoma fans up. So, there's that aspect of it. Also, going back to the to the money part, uh, TV deals. Of course, the SEC and ESPN are getting a huge contract uh, with each other. SEC is going to be the uh, ESPN is going to be the official home of the SEC, as if it won already with the SEC Network uh, taking over the CBS afternoon Saturday slot, whatever they're going to do with it. And so, there's a lot of money that comes involved with that, and also there's a lot of money involved with bringing. Texas and Oklahoma, particularly Texas, with how much of a national brand they are. So, get more money, yeah, through a TV deal. And that includes all of the SEC teams. So, there's that part of it. Also, recruiting could be interesting for Oklahoma and Texas. Now, Oklahoma, they've been recruiting off the walls lately. They just got another five-star, number one ranked quarterback, uh, coming in 2023, I believe it is. So, I mean, yeah, they keep on rolling, bringing it in. Uh, but for Oklahoma, Texas, you know, if you look at what bringing in A&M did for the SEC, it probably helped a lot of the SEC programs not be afraid to set foot in Texas and take a lot of the high-level talent that Texas football has to offer. Like, it's Texas football, high school football, it's another level. Florida's right behind it. Georgia's right behind it. And so being able to get into Texas and being able to recruit those players was huge for all these SEC teams. Now you bring in Oklahoma and Texas. Well, that's going to open it up a little bit more for SEC teams while at the same time, it's going to open things up for those two programs as well. Being able to re- go in and to recruit into Florida, into Georgia, Alabama, um, Tennessee, you know, South Carolina, because there's been some high-level recruits that have come out of South Carolina in the past few years. Mississippi. Any uh, any of the SEC teams, where, wherever they're located, they're going to be able to have sort of kind of get into there and be able to recruit that area and say, hey, 
you can come to our program and play in the SEC. And for some, a, a team like Oklahoma, who's been really good, has been recruiting high-level talent the last few years, that's huge. And for Texas as well, being a, even though it hasn't, it hasn't been what it once was at Texas, it's still a national brand. And people still want to go to Texas because of what they can offer. And so that could that could be appealing to a lot of recruits down in the south in Georgia and Florida. Again, Georgia and Florida are right behind Texas in terms of football talent. So Texas are like, you know what? All right, fine. You'll steal some of our talent, but we're going to steal some of yours from your state. So so it's, uh, you know, it's that type of situation where, like, you take ours, we'll take yours. So, those are some reasons I I think why and and also I mean you're competing in the SEC I mean that is the top conference you do have a lot of the top teams in their Alabama your Alabama's LSU's Auburn's you know a lot of national champions have come through that conference and so you're going to get to be playing in the best conference now. Couple things. Couple things. You know, what about uh, realignment? How are you going to realign the SEC? What's uh, what's that going to look like? And essentially, the way I understand it, and the way I thought it would work, is like, all right, so you have your SEC East and you have your SEC West. Now, let's go, say for the sake they keep the divisions intact and they don't do the pods that have been suggested where they play every team in the pod that they're in, but every other year they play a different pod. And so they'll play every team in the conference for the over the course of the next few years. And then it'll, you know, recycle again and again and again. Let's say they keep with divisions. So the way I think it would go, and I think the way people would think it would go is Alabama and Auburn, they'd move over to the SEC East and Oklahoma and Texas would move over to the West while Missouri would be moving out to the SEC West as well since that lines up with more of Missouri and also former opponents that they've had in the Big 12 and they were there years ago. And so... Concerning my Tennessee fandom, I I know there's some been some people that have wanted to get rid of the annual Alabama rivalry. That happens, you can't get rid of it. Now, if they do the pods thing, that that might switch it up unless they're in the same pod as Alabama. So, you can't get rid of that. And also, that that might uh, if you look at it. That would uphold some of the traditions. I know some people, I've, I've read a couple articles that have talked about, you know, maybe some traditions will be lost, rivalries and all that stuff. I think if you probably do that, that'll help out a little bit. Um, I know, I wonder how Alabama and Auburn feel about losing some of their rivalries that they've had in the, what am I talking about rivalries with Alabama? Uh, their annual games with SEC West teams, like, uh, like an LSU, uh, of that sort. So I imagine that's how the SEC would go if it's six with divisions, is that you would have the SEC East with Alabama and Auburn moving into there with the SEC West 
gaining Texas and Oklahoma while also having Mizzou move into the West. And there you go. There would be your 16-team conference, eight teams per division. Yeah, Alabama, Florida, and Georgia in one division. And as a Tennessee fan's perspective, do I like this? Crap, no. I mean, yeah, I think we probably have Oklahoma on the schedule in the next few years. So that helps us out a little bit. Uh, That helps us a little bit. uh, Makes it a little bit easier on us. And... But I have to schedule another co- out of conference game. Do uh, in the long term, I I don't think it worries me that much. Right now, I don't like it because I feel like we'll probably play them the first chance we get. And I want to say I forget when we do play Oklahoma. I feel like we're supposed to play them soon. But regardless, I think if listen if that happens. You're still going to have to face pretty much your core teams that you're going to be worried about. Alabama, Florida, Georgia, the like. And you just have to see what happens, which ACC West team that you would get. Is the ACC going to go to nine games, ten games like it did last year? It seems like even though the ten-game thing kind of worked last year, they're not really going to look into going back to that. Anytime soon. But right now, I hate it. In the future, if it if it does happen, and it looks like it is going to happen, you're only concerned about really your core teams, which you are already concerned about. And listen, you would have to play Texas or Oklahoma, you know, every once in a while. It's not like you have to play them every year. If you had to play them every year, crap, yes, I'd be more ticked off about it. But with them being in the SEC West and them having a rotation, not as concerned about it. I do feel bad for A&M, though. <laughs> I, I think A&M got slapped on the wrist here because, according to SEC bylaws uh, that uh, the SEC has laid out, that you can, uh, that in order to uh, have a team not be accepted to the SEC, you need four teams to basically say no. And, of course, a was going to be one of those teams that looks like they got slapped on the wrist and said, hey, you, you need to like this. <laughs> so, A&M, I know for sure doesn't like this. LSU, I have to wonder how they think. But, again, it goes back to money. There's going to be a whole lot of money <laughs> to be made from this. And you see why. That's the name of the game in, in college football. I mean, money, money, money. It's all it's all about making more of that green stuff. Alright? And with the TV deals getting bigger and larger, I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. But, uh, as far as uh, Oklahoma and Texas are, are concerned, when could they go to the SEC? Well, that'll be a little bit tricky. We'll, we'll have to see where it goes. They It looks like they are prepared to waive their current media rights deal, that which the Big 12 expires in 2025. And it could be possible that they may have to pay an exit fee. Now, if you remember back in 2012, uh, again, almost 10 years ago, when all this realignment was going on, you 
had Maryland, which was leaving the ACC for the Big Ten. The, Mar- uh, the Maryland decided to leave in 2012. The ACC passed a rule that year, which, of course, Maryland voted against, that required Maryland to pay around a $52 million exit fee. And after lawsuits were filed, that number was reduced down to around $31.5 million, and Maryland was, was allowed to leave for the Big Ten, and they began playing in 2014. So, the big difference here is Oklahoma, Texas, granted rights, it means that they're probably going to, and that they're going to waive that. And they are going to be like, you know what, screw it. We're, we're going to leave earlier than expected. And they probably will have to play a big exit fee as well. I saw a number that said maybe potentially $80 million. And coming off what we've been through in the last year, year and a half with the pandemic, with how much money being lost has hurt some programs, some colleges. That's a whole lot of money to be looking at. So, that might be what Texas and Oklahoma are looking at in the long run. Now, what about the Big 12? What are they going to do? You know, obviously, they can't be happy about this. It's been reported, like, you know, we're surprised about uh, Oklahoma doing this. Texas, not at all. I mean, <laughs> crap. They, they're like, we, we expected some, something shady coming out of Texas. I mean, because they're Texas. They're, they're like Notre Dame without being Notre Dame as far as being an independent. And so, yes, I mean, of course, they're not happy about that. So what does the Big 12 do? There are some options out there on the table. Could they bring in group of five teams? Like, could they raid the AAC? Uh, Houston, uh, Cincinnati, UCF, Memphis. Could they do that? They certainly could, but it doesn't really bring a whole lot of attraction to the Big 12 the same way in Oklahoma, Texas do. And so, maybe you could do that. Or, and this is another option that's been on the table, potentially reaching out to the Pac-12. And once upon a time, there I mean, 10 years ago, there was talk about the Pac-12 raiding some Big 12 teams and bringing them along for the ride, Oklahoma and Texas included. So, does that go back? Does, does, that, does that happen? Does the Big Twelve look at like you know what we almost did this ten years ago? Let's let's look at it again. Let's see what we can do here, and uh, whether it's trying to take a couple teams like in Arizona or Arizona State, or whether it's you know essentially merging with the Pac-12 and with the eight teams left and with the Pac-12, that would be. Bear in mind, guys, I'm doing math. That's 20, uh, 20 teams. I don't know why that was too hard for me, but Pac-12, you bring in eight teams from the Big 12, that's 20 teams in total. That's a Super League right there. And I'm assuming in that case, I say, if you do that, you probably say, screw the divisions, and you probably just go the whole route with the pods, in which like you have a pod of teams here, pod of teams there, 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 there. 
I think the difficulty will be deciding a conference champion. Champion, maybe just take the two best teams out of the, the pods. How many ever you have, whether it's four or five or something like that. If it's twenty teams, it's like two best teams out of the five pods. You play for the conference championship. Now, the other thing to think about here is could the Big Twelve fold? Because again, they almost folded years ago. So could potentially the Big Ten maybe look at taking some of these teams? What teams would be appealing to them? Now, of course, the Big Ten, they care about academics as well. And they might be a little bit more cautious of what teams to take because of the academics. But I think certainly uh, a team like Kansas, I think Kansas has maybe potentially reached out to them. Uh, I think I saw somebody mention that. Which football... Eh, basketball, Big Ten t- has taken Kansas basketball all the way. Yet, you add Kansas to the Big to the Big 12, or the Big Ten, and like, you have them, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Indiana, if they ever get back, Purdue, Purdue's been pretty rock solid here the last few years. I'm leaving out some other teams that have probably been pretty good for the for the Big Ten. But you add a Kansas to that group, you take that every time if you're the Big Ten. Uh, if you're football, yeah, they'll probably, eh, it'll be whatever. But they're at least close enough to, like, Nebraska to where, like, okay, it can make some sense. Iowa State, that part makes sense. Iowa State going to that conference would make sense because you have already have Iowa in there. And you just say, you know, Iowa State, you're coming in there. I know it's not an appeal to have Iowa State, despite how well they've been playing uh, in football these last few years under Matt Campbell. But who knows? I mean, he, they, Iowa State could potentially be pretty good in the, uh, in the Big Ten. And then it comes as far as the other teams. Saw West Virginia getting tossed around. West Virginia might go to the ACC. Because that makes sense. Virginia, Virginia Tech, whole regional stuff going on there. You know. And just really, where would those other teams go? Where would a team like a Baylor go? Oklahoma State go? Who Oklahoma State has got to be mad at Oklahoma right now. They're like, what are you doing? And they are going to be leaving Oklahoma State in the dust right there. What are they going to be doing? TCU. What are some of these other programs going to be doing? I have to imagine maybe the Pac-12 is a possibility for them. That they, uh, you know, fine, let's go to the Pac-12. Let's do uh, what we almost said a few years ago. And let's go ahead and do that. Get that rolling. Or the AAC. Now, Granted, they probably won't make as much money money in the AAC. But let's say they do go over to the AAC. Or let's say some of the AAC teams go over to the go over to the Big 12. And let's say that happens. Not bad here if you look at basketball and football. If you look at what the AAC has done in football, they've really been a good conference here. Houston's had its success. UCF has done really well. Memphis has come up pretty well. You have some rock-solid football programs in that conference. And then basketball, that really helps too because Houston's been really good in basketball as of late. Cincinnati, 
Memphis, he had that appeal with Penny Hardaway being in, in, in the conference and everyone else in that conference. And you add them to the Big 12, that certainly helps the basketball landscape after losing Oklahoma and Texas. Might even strengthen it a little bit more. Football, it would probably weaken it, but you're still adding a lot of top-tier teams to that to that conference, with UCF being awesome here in the last few years. Cincinnati taking a huge step up lately under Luke Fickle. It's just like... that. There's a whole lot of possibilities where things will be changed and switched up. And you might have super conferences here. And to be honest, guys, I don't doubt that there might be super conferences in our near future. I don't doubt it. I really don't. I mean, if you look at the landscape of what's happening, again, it's all about money, money, money. And there's a growing sense like, hey, <laughs> you know, maybe the SEC could just tell the NCAA, hey, we're leaving. We'll see you. You know, there's there's always that possibility that there could be teams that, you know, want to create a super conference and get together. And with the Pac-12, or with, with the Big 12 losing their two biggest members and Really, they're two most high-profile members that really made them a lot of money. Where do you go from here? Do you say, all right, we're going to concede a group of five teams, even though we kind of look at the group of five teams like like they're nothing to us? Do we go to the Pac-12 and say, hey, let's hash this out, and let's see if we can make something work? Do other teams just say, you know, it's every team, it's every team for themselves. I mean, <laughs> you only got eight members left. What else is? What else are we gonna do? And just say we're just gonna go and find different conferences that uh that'll line up. I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty crazy to think about all this stuff. Just this last week, we were talking about the NIL, all that stuff, how big that's been for college football. Now you have all this. On top of all that. And the NIL probably only adds to that because if you're Texas and Oklahoma, there are probably more opportunities for your players to really succeed with the NIL and the SEC. That's another aspect of it. So this is huge news on a huge level for college football where you have two high-level programs saying, we're, we're going to leave the Big 12 and we're going to go head to the SEC We'll see you on the flip side, Big 12. And, I, and there's, there's one negative to this. That uh, and, and there is another positive that just came to mind. The 12-team playoff. Which that looks like it's happening. The SEC, you, you're probably going to get a lot more teams in there. And probably Texas and Oklahoma saw that. Like, there, there might be more opportunity for us. But here's the negative, I think. For the SEC, yes, they could get multiple teams in there. Wouldn't that lead them to beating up on uh, on a lot of teams in the SEC? And that could be counterproductive for what the SEC wants in getting four or five teams in the in the in the, in the playoff if it goes to twelve teams. Is that you have a lot of these teams 
that would just essentially beat up on each other. I mean, again, you look at the SEC East if it happened, if Oklahoma, Texas going there. You have Alabama, Georgia, Florida. Um, well, I'm trying to think about who else has been cut in that division. It's <laughs> then you have your mid-tier teams. Then you have your Vanderbilts. Which, again, I, I wonder, no, why is Vanderbilt not going to leave? This screws them over huge. Again, money. That's why. I think, you know, if and you also play your SEC West teams if you're, if you're the East and the West and all that stuff. But I do think eventually you would beat up on each other so much where it kind of hurts your own chances of getting four teams in there. Where it really kind of hurt. Do I think do I think it would uh it'll hurt Bama and Georgia? Absolutely not. Oklahoma, Texas, absolutely not. And I I think they'll be fine. It's just that I think a lot of these teams will beat up on each other and their records might not be exactly what they want, even if they still get in. You know. I know Saban would be ticked off about losing three games but still somehow getting into the playoff. <laughs> yeah, and uh you know, another thing that comes to mind, Oklahoma. Of course, Oklahoma, they've played the SEC in the past in bowl games, and that's been, I've seen that brought up. Here's the thing, though. In that situation, you do have some weeks. You have some time to prepare for Oklahoma. Oklahoma comes to the SEC, there's no time to prepare. There's absolutely no time to prepare for Oklahoma's offense, what Lincoln Riley has got cooked up with that offense and whoever's behind center or and shotgun behind center. It's a whole lot easier to be a team when you have some weeks to prepare, but when you have just like only a matter of few days, it's uh it's a whole lot tougher. It's a whole lot tougher to deal with. So this is this is huge. This is huge news. The landscape of college football is it's going to change as we know it with all this going down. And we're headed for more conference realignment pretty much after this. You know, this pretty much it looks like is going to happen. And then some more dominoes have to fall. Where are all these other teams going to go? So, of course, we'll keep up with that here and look into more of that. Of course, it's timely, you know, as, of course, we're headed towards the college football season. And all that stuff, but huge news with Oklahoma and Texas looking to go to the SEC. All right, let's uh, let's switch off gears for football for a second. We'll talk some football at the at the end of the show and talk some NFL. What's going on there? I guess let's spend some time in the NBA. There's a couple MLB notes. There's Olympics. Let's start with the Olympics, and let's talk about what's going on right now. And I'm going to look at the gold medal count right now, and uh, let's see who's at the top right now. So right now, if you take a look at gold medals right now, Japan leading the way with eight gold medals, with the United States with seven, and China with six. So they, uh, those three countries are leading the way. China right now has the most medals right now with 18, with the United States with 14, Japan with 13. So there's your top three with the gold with gold 
and with medals in total. And one of the big talking points, particularly of my interest of the Olympics, is teammate USA. How are they doing? Of course, a lot's been made of in the games leading up to the Olympics. And how how well they performed or how well they didn't perform. And what would they do once they got to Tokyo? And game one, not so well. Losing to France, 83-76. to Had a little lead a little bit late. Could not hold it. And they lose their first game of the Olympics. And I think the leading scorer for Team USA was Drew Holiday, who just came off of playing in the NBA Finals. He, Chris Middleton, Devin Booker literally were on a plane. How awkward must that have been? We're literally on a plane to Tokyo a few days ago, and here is Drew Holiday leading the way here. You have to be worried a little bit, because this team right now is not playing like a team. And you have guys like Evan Fournier are, that are going off. They're probably guys on Team USA that are wondering, like, where's Evan Fournier? They're like, what's he been doing? Why doesn't he do this in the regular season? And uh, all that stuff. So there's an obvious concern right now with Team USA and how how can they get how can they come back from this? Can they find a way to jail? It's going to be interesting to see, to say the least. I mean, the exhibition games were probably warning flags. I mean, like, you know what? Once the Olympics happen, it's fine. They don't have almost all their players there. They still have some that they're waiting on. But now, losing to France in, uh, in their first game in the Olympics. So, they got to bounce back in this next game. And if they don't, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good for Team USA. Um, Olympics so far, they have been pretty fun. I have been keeping an eye on some of the stuff that's been going on. Uh, some I, I, I've been confused about the schedules, about when and what takes place, and all that good stuff, as I'm sure a lot of other people in the States are. But uh, so far, uh, I, I, I've been... I've been enjoying them. So, we got a couple more weeks of the Olympics, and we'll see how well everybody does in these Olympics. It, again, it is so weird to have it in this year when it was supposed to be last year, and how that must have thrown off a lot of these athletes and uh, having essentially another year of training, of preparation for this. And for some others, it was probably helpful to have another year to maybe get some things right that and to get better some things that they weren't necessarily as good at as they would want to be by the time of the Olympics. So it, it probably worked both ways in that regard. But there are the Olympics. Let's talk some baseball right quick. We The trade deadline is coming up later this week. Couple big things going with the baseball world. Twins, Byron Buxton, unable to agree on extension. His contract's coming up. Big time player for the Twins. They, and we'll have to see what they do with him. Could they trade him? Could they lose him for nothing? One thing's for sure, the, the Pirates, 
they are, they're getting something for Adam Frazier, trading the all-star second baseman to the San Diego Padres. So, uh, Peter's Pirates, everybody. Um, yeah. The Pittsburgh Pirates, everybody. <laughs> so, from baseball to NBA, let's talk about some stuff in the rundown to the NBA draft on Thursday night. A lot of intrigue going on about who or what could be moved. Who's going to try to get in a better position than on Thursday night than they are right now? Right now, the Rockets are really aggressively looking to get up to number one to take Kate Cunningham. And it looks like the Pistons might end up taking him as we're getting closer to the draft. And the Rockets desperately want to figure something out. And the Rockets have a lot of draft capital to work with. They picked up a lot in the Harden trade. And they've already picked up some subsequent assets and past trades. So, they got they got the stuff they need to move on up. It's just a matter of the Pistons want to do that swap and they, they would be okay. Moving down a spot to take Jalen Green. I don't know if this is necessarily a Markel Fultz, Jason Tatum situation where the Celtics traded down the three to take Tatum, but still, but in the end, picked up more assets along the way that Danny Ainge can sit on or trade on, or trade for or something else. So we'll have to see there. So there's one rumor concerning the draft. I think the big talk surrounding the draft is what's going to happen with Bradley Beal. And he can be a key part of this because teams need to know what direction they can go in by Thursday night. If Beal is for sure going to be available and he's going to be good to go for a potential trade down the road. He's still owning his future with Washington. Uh, but it has been reported that the Warriors wish list, he's at the top of it. That Bradley Beal is at the top of it. And again, Golden State, they got they got the pieces. They got pick number seven, number 14, Wiseman, some future first rounders. They got them. So they could definitely make the move for him. But uh, Beal's going to be interesting domino to see if that falls in the next few days leading up to the draft. Uh, again, going back to the Rockets, the Rockets, they're looking to potentially use Eric Gordon and one of their picks in the 20s, 23 or 24, to move up in the draft. Shams did this whole rundown on the Athletic where this is what he's been hearing uh, in the lead up to the draft. So a lot of interesting stuff. And there's a couple of interesting free agency uh, tidbits here. Uh, but again, that's the Rockets. Oklahoma City could potentially move up because they got three picks and they got a couple in the late teens that they might be moving off of to try to move up. The Pelicans and the Hornets have some interest in Pacer Center Miles Turner. So that could be something to watch for in the coming days. The New York Knicks, who have picks number 19 and 21, could, pot could potentially be looking up to the draft to add somebody to this Knicks team that made the playoffs and give Thibodeau 
somebody else to work with. And then you have my Grizzlies being involved in a rumor with the Pelicans that they have discussed a trade that's in Eric Bledsoe, pick number 10, to Memphis for pick number 17, and potentially maybe another player. I've seen Grayson Allen thrown out, Justice Winslow, where the Pelicans can decline his option and have some cap space. Maybe a Tyus Jones or something like that. But the Grizzlies wanting to move up to 10 is interesting. Who would they who they want to get? They've according to Shams, they've been they've explored moving up in the draft. Who they want, who they have their eye on. That's all intriguing to me. And taking on Eric Bledsoe, yeah, listen, I would do the Justice Winslow thing in a heartbeat. The Grayson Allen thing. Grayson is one of our only shooters on the roster. So I, I might be more inclined to keep him because uh if you if you know the Grizzlies pass, not a whole lot of shooters. <laughs> so I think you want to keep the ones you have. So if you bring do bring in Bledsoe, obviously he's gonna be the back of the jaw. He does bring a lot of toughness. His contract is huge though, although not a whole lot of guaranteed money going to the uh, year number two. That and his buyout is pretty low. In in the in year two as well, I believe it's around four million. So that's uh, that's pretty cheap as well. So could maybe help you for one year, or maybe you can just buy him out regardless, and maybe he wants to go to a different team. But that's interesting. And also some trade, uh, a couple other trade rumors and free agency tidbits, is that Lakers, they obviously want to get back to the finals. They're looking for a third star to pair with LeBron and AD. They've potentially looked at a trade for Kings guard Buddy Heald with Kyle Kuzma being involved in the package. Apparently, teams have some interest in Kuzma. Lakers have been shopping Kuzma and Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope around the league extensively from what I've seen. And they, they obviously want that third star. They've also are expected to show some interest in Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, who is a California kid, and Spencer Dinwiddie. But the Lakers aren't the only team expected to be a suitor for Kyle Lowry. 76ers, that was a potential trade destination for him at the deadline, where there, maybe the Sixers could have traded for him. Lakers, as we just mentioned, the Mavericks as a possibility. The Pelicans, especially if they move off of Bledsoe and get rid of some of his salary. And the Miami Heat are potentially looking at adding Kyle Lowry to their teams. So, a couple of interesting NBA notes there as we get to the NBA draft on Thursday night. Some dominoes that can fall from now to then. And also some dominoes that can fall between from after the draft through some time in free agency. And free agency starts August 2nd. So it's not going to be too far until we start talking NBA free agency and all the stuff that can go on with there. I'm trying to look up when free agency, what day it is specifically, a week from now. So yeah, that's a quick turnaround. So a week from now, NBA free agency gets rolling. And so... We'll see if some of this stuff uh, happens, if some of these teams do show some interest, and if they can work out some deals with some of these players. All right. 
let's go ahead and take a look at our NFL preview. And let's, and first off, before we get off to the NFL preview, there are a couple notes to get through with the NFL and what's been going on as a as of recent. Um, you have you've had had uh, something big happen in Green Bay, and something not good. Devontae Adams, who is coming up on his free agency, looking to get a new deal done with the Packers. Nothing could be done. It doesn't sound like the teams are uh, the two parties are on the best of terms, and that looks like maybe contract negotiations aren't going to continue. And for Green Bay, this just this whole thing has gone from bad to worse. You, I mean, you had the Aaron Rodgers off, and that was bad enough. But now, you had <laughs> your second best player, and you can't get work out a deal with them. And it looks like things are, are going south with that. So, not good for the Green Bay Packers. It's been a dismal offseason with all this stuff. And, uh, I don't know. I, I'm starting to think maybe Aaron talked about the culture there in Green Bay. I'm starting to think he he was on to something right there. Um, but some more NFL news to talk about with the NFL. Uh, New COVID protocols with what they want to do. There's been some heat that a lot of, that they've been taking with some NFL players in regard to this as well. And some of these steps include, uh, as far as the vaccination, unvaccinated uh, players, I believe there's like an 85% threshold in which uh, I think there's some things that are getting close to that. I think the Cowboys have had a pretty good rate. Uh, I know. I think I read an article in the Athletic that said the Colts had the lowest rate as of that point. Uh, of course, by the time the spot comes out, that may that may have changed. But what are some of the new protocols that are going to be going on? So it looks like a potential forfeit of a game if a team sustains an outbreak. There are going to be possible financial penalties for the organization who has the outbreak and a potential loss of game checks for players on both teams, which that's pretty huge. I think that might be a reason for some some of the outrage, at least. Because, yeah, that would tick me off as well. And I would say, hey, that's not cool. I worked my butt off this whole week in practice. Can I still get paid? Of course I'd be mad about that. That's completely understandable. Uh, but the NFL's message has been pretty clear uh, with the unvaccinated players. You know, if you do all this stuff, if you don't get vaccinated, there could be some penalties that come your way. If you do test positive and you potentially do start an outbreak, and it's uh it's gonna be interesting to see how all this rolls about. And you know, I saw it, it was meant to be a meme, but you know, it's an actually an accurate question. It might be something I might ask Matt about the uh, about fantasy football. Is about uh, what are the ramifications about this for fantasy football? Uh, in regards to this, you know, what's gonna happen with that? That's gonna be uh that's gonna be interesting to see how all th- that is handled. 
But this is uh, this is uh, these are big new protocols from the NFL. The, they are not holding up with with what they've put out there. What memos they've sent out to all the thirty two teams about what could potentially happen if this happens or so so test positive and they're unvaccinated. All that stuff is just again. But I do see why some players might be upset at if it's about the losing the game checks. Because, again, that is some people's livelihood, and you are kind of messing with that. So, nonetheless, some big news coming out of the NFL in regards to new COVID protocols. But let's get right on to the AFC North preview. I'm rolling along with that. And we are going to start with none other the Matt's Baltimore Ravens. And so, where do we see the Ravens coming into this year? Of course, they came off last year, Lamar Jackson getting his first playoff win over my Titans again. Ugh, crap. Just remind me of that that touchdown run he had late in that game. <laughs> but he got his first playoff win. You know, got this huge thing off his chest. Where does he go from here? And in large part, where's this whole team go from here? Now, on offense, you do bring in Sammy Watkins from free agency. You also draft Rashad Bateman in the first round to help you out. So you do add some receivers to that wide receiver room with Marquise Brown, Devin Duvernay. You do add some you do add some playmakers out there on the on the edge. So I imagine maybe Lamar might be throwing a little bit more, but and it might be an indictment on what this offensive line will look like. An offensive line has changed a little bit. They traded Orlando Brown. And that's the second question. What's this offensive line gonna look like? Orlando Brown gone. You have Ronnie Stanley coming back. What's after a really brutal ankle injury? What's he going to look like coming off of that? You bring in Alejandro Villanueva at right tackle. You take a piece from one of your rivals in the Steelers. You move Bradley Bozeman to center. See if that works out. And you bring in Kevin Zeitler to help fill in the void at right guard because there was a void missing after not having Mark with Marshall Yonda retiring. There's a void right there, as it should, because Marshall Yonda is a really good offensive lineman, really good right guard, and was a really integral piece for this Ravens offensive line a couple years back. So now you bring in Kevin Zeitler to help to help try to help that void out on the offensive line. So it's just going to be a matter of what is the offensive line going to look like. And how are they going to be able to help Lamar in the running game with him, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, uh, whoever else is in that Ravens backfield, and him being able to get out the weapons like Marquise Brown, Bateman, Watkins, and the like. And then on the defense, you you do lose Matthew Judon. Uh, what do you expect out of this defense coming out coming into next year? Wink Martindale? Their defensive coordinator, 
he's he's done he's worked magic with this Ravens defense before. He's going to, have to find some magic again with some of these edge rushers. Uh, but this with the Ravens too, they jacked some pretty good edge rushers late, and they really developed them, and they really come on and perform pretty well, and end up getting put in a position where uh, where Matthew Judon was this offseason, and him getting paid by the Patriots. But it, the Ravens, I think, as far as the AFC West, I think the Ravens and Browns are probably the top two teams that we'll discuss here in this preview. I think they'll probably be, they'll be the top two teams. I think the Steelers will probably finish third, and then Cle- and then Cincinnati's going to finish last. So Baltimore, they do have a shot to win this division. It's just a matter of Cleveland. I won't get to Cleveland here in a second, but first. Let's go to Cincinnati right quick. And let's talk about these Cincinnati Bengals. And thank goodness I haven't bungled anything. And I would have loved to have used that nickname for him on the show. But let's talk about the Bengals. Of course, Joe Burrow going down with a really bad knee injury last year. You hate to see it. And they actually looked like a pretty competitive team when he was out there starting. And and they and what even if they did win, they played teams pretty well. But once he went down, it, it went on downhill from there. And the number one question is, what do you expect from Joe Burrow in year two after a significant knee injury? What do you expect him to look like? Do you expect him to look like what he did early on last year? And also, do you expect him to take a leap? You know, because year two, you've been in the league for a minute. How how, how well have you adjusted? So that's going to be the number one question for Cincinnati going forward and them having really any hopes of of trying to potentially surprise some people. But, of course, Burrow's going to need some help. And that's going to be the other thing to talk about here. With a young offense, how are they going to be perform? T. Wig- T. Higgins, you drafted him in the second round last year. Really good rookie season. You drafted Jamar Chase at number five. Burrow's former teammate. You hope that connection is still there. Really early on. You also, you also have some guys that are still on the young side, but... Have been there for a minute, and Joe Mix and Joe Mixon, and Tyler Boyd, and what are they going to bring to the table? And then the offensive line, what's that going to look like? Jonah Williams, draft pick from a couple years ago in 2019. You hope he stays healthy. And it sounds like, from what I've been reading, he's probably going to get a chance at left tackle. Quinn Spain, they brought him in mid-season, and he did pretty well for him. They drafted Jackson Carmen from Clemson. Can he play tackle? Can he play guard? Can he make it move for one of those positions? They did sign the Riley Reef. And from reading stuff for the, for the preview, it sounds like Riley Reef might be the guy at right tackle. So how's this offense? How are they going to do? Again, I know some of those guys aren't young, but you also have some new pieces in there. So I guess in reality, with a young offense and with some new pieces coming in. How are they going to perform? And how are they going to help Joe Burrow, the former number one overall pick, as he comes back from a knee injury 
and comes back in year two. And then finally, will the defense, will it finally show up? Will it finally take shape? They added a lot to this defense this offseason. They did lose a couple pieces in Carl Lawson and William Jackson. No problem. They go out and sign Trey Hendrickson away from the Saints. They sign Jadobi Awuzie. I think I pronounced that not. I think I pronounced that right. From the Cowboys. They signed Mike Hilton away from the Steelers. Good nickel back corner. Can really help them out. Can really help them out in the slot. So they did add some really good pieces to that defense to kind of help out things there. And also, you got to wonder about the linebacking core. Where are you going to get out of Jermaine Pratt? Where are you going to get out of Akeem Gaither Davis? Logan Wilson? A couple of second-year players. Where are you going to get out of that group uh, in the front seven? So, there's Cincinnati. And again, all this is really going to hinge on Joe Burrow, what Zach Taylor got in store for this year with the franchise QB. And if Joe can uh, find that re- find that connection with Jamar Chase again after being away from each other for a year. So that'll be interesting to see if Cincinnati can work its way to maybe being a team that surprises. Maybe not make the playoffs, but take a moderate leap, pass some successes, and maybe then be even more prepared, potentially be even better, to take the leap next year. Let's go to Cleveland and talk about one of the big surprises from last year and what they did with first-year coach, now second-year head coach, Kevin Stefanski, and winning 11 games last year and really taking out the Steelers, being them pretty well uh, at Pittsburgh. And then moving on to the divisional round, of course, losing to the Chiefs. So, no shame there. So, where, oh, where's Cleveland now? Are they really ready to compete after having a really good year last year? Are they ready to compete in the AFC this year? Can they be one of those clear top teams they look at? That team is going to be good. That team has a chance to make the AFC Championship game and potentially make the Super Bowl. Can they really make that jump this year and continue that consistency from last year? And of course, they bring back a lot, of, a lot of players from the team last year. Starting off, good offensive line. They bring them back. You know, what are you going to get out of Baker coming out this year? That's going to be a question as well. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, all them. But then I think the second question is the one that maybe answers the first one. What Odell Beckham Jr. will we see this year? Because <laughs> they look pretty well without him. They look pretty well. They had an identity running the ball with their good offensive line and with Nick Chubb and with Kareem Hunt. And with some play action pass here and there from Baker, Jarvis Landy and Landry, Rashad Higgins, Donovan Peoples Jones, whoever's that wide receiver. They did pretty well off without him. But if Odell has, has changed, 
It's healthy. It's good to go. What is he going to do? What's he going to bring to the table this year? Is he going to be upset if he doesn't get the amount of touches that he wants or feels like he, he, he should have during the course of a game? Is he past that? And if he is, that might be good news for Cleveland. It really might be good news because, let's say, hey, the running game isn't working. And that's where somebody like an Odell Beckham Jr. can shine. Like, hey, Odell, make some plays for us. Hey, Jarvis, go deep, make some plays for us. No, Austin Hooper. No, whoever. If Odell's really going to be different this year, if he's really, if he's going to be healthy, different mindset for him, different attitude, then that's going to answer the first question. I would have to say, then yeah, Cleveland is ready to compete in the AFC. And they're not going to be a joke. And then the last question for Cleveland is the defense. Is can the defense, with all the additions they made, they did pretty well in adding to this defense. Of course, you couple draft picks, Greg Newsom, pair him with Denzel Ward on the other side. You drafted Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, a linebacker, a linebacker, and from the preview I read for, for Cleveland on NFL.com, is that it sounds like he's done really well in training camp so far. So that's good news for Cleveland. You also added in a couple safeties, and John Johnson, taken from the Rams, Xavier Woods from the Cowboys. You also have Grant Delpit coming back from injury. Ronnie Harrison, who did pretty solid last year for him. You got some pieces here on this defense, so can this defense be elite? And also, they signed Jadavion Clowney at defensive end. Now, what Clowney will we see? I mean, crap. I'll be honest with you guys. I, I, I don't know. I didn't know on a week-to-week basis what I was going to see out of him in the Titans jersey. But there is a name value there. There is a potential that with the type, uh, with what he does and tries to wreak havoc, then that'll only help your centerpiece on defense of Miles Garrett. That'll only help him in trying to cause just absolute havoc on an offensive line, on a quarterback, on an offensive coordinator, and on the coach. So there is Cleveland. And finally, let's let's go to Pittsburgh. And let me reiterate Peter's point. He wants this Pittsburgh team to not win a freaking game, a single game this year. None at all. <laughs> I'm sure if he was here, he, there would be uh there'd be a whole lot more coming after that. But like the Steelers. There, there are a couple big-time questions here. Of course, the first big-time question we have here is Big Ben. What's what's in store for Big Ben this year? Is this the last stand? After what happened last year, awesome start, tailed off at the end, get thrashed by Cleveland at home in the postseason. What are you going to do? How? What are you going to look like? coming into this season. And 
also, who's who can be a backup for him? Is it Mason Rudolph? Is it Dwayne Haskins? Maybe Haskins turns a corner. Maybe he might be a part of Pittsburgh's future at quarterback. But Big Ben, is this the last stand for him? He's 39 years old. He did lose a little bit of weight this offseason, so that's good for Pittsburgh. And if you're the Steelers, I think you want to finish off the Big Big Ben era on a really good note by putting together a good roster, even though there are cap constraints that they have in this upcoming season. So there's big-time question number one. Big-time question number two. The crap this offensive line will look like opening day. Because they made some moves. You have no more. You have no Pouncey. No Villanueva. As Pouncey, he's gone. Villanueva, he's gone to Baltimore. They cut David Castro due to salary cap constraints. They did sign Trey Turner to come in at right guard. But what's this offensive line going to look like? They took a couple offensive linemen late. A little bit later than I would have Thought they would have, but any Steelers fan I think would hope they would have. Drafting Kendrick Green, who's a guard and center, has some versatility there, and Dan Moore from AM in the third and fourth round. So what are they going to look like? Are they going to be starting a couple rookies? What are they going to be doing? And all I gotta say is Najee Harris, their first round pick, is gonna find out pretty quickly. This isn't <laughs> this is not Alabama's this is not Alabama's offensive line right here. Absolutely not. So I feel like he's going to find out pretty quickly there. But it's going to be everything without what Big Ben's going to do, how Najee Harris will do, is going to be predicated on this offensive line and what's it going to look like. And then for Pittsburgh, uh, the defense. They did lose Bud Dupree in the offseason. TJ Watt did suffer a little bit when Bud Dupree was not there when he went down with a knee injury in week 12, where he wasn't as effective. So what's he going to do in the long term with Butterfree not being there permanently? What's he going to do? Now, they did sign Melvin Ingram, but he has not reached double-digit sacks since 2017. What does he have left? Can he bring something to the Steelers? We'll see. But I think the third question is, how will T.J. Watt perform after his running mate, Bud Dupree, left the free agency into the Titans? How will he perform? Will he be able to step up and be a guy like, you know what? I'm awesome. <laughs> and, and like I don't need to worry about anybody else but me. I don't need to worry about anybody else on this defense and whether they can help me or not. I'm just going to go out there and just cause some, some mayhem. So there is the AFC North, everybody. Those are some of the questions that I have for each of those teams going into the 2021 NFL season. And the season is getting here. It's going to be here before you know it, everybody. And so that'll do it for this week's NFL preview. Again, if we do another pod later this week, we'll do NBA draft. Talk about that. And we'll talk about probably talk a little bit about free agency if uh if there's some stuff that comes out within the next few days as again it's only a week away and 
if there's another pod, we'll also do the AFC South, and we'll close out the AFC previews with talking about that division, talking about the Colts, Jaguars, the Texans, and the Titans. And we'll hash that out on Friday if we do another pod. So that'll do it for us here, everybody. Hopefully you guys have a good start to your week here on this Monday. Hopefully you guys have a good rest of the week as well. Be sure to go check us out on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you guys get your podcasts. And be sure to check out the Entertainment Pod as well. A lot of movies coming out here recently that I'm excited about. Went to see Old last week. You got Jungle Cruise coming out this week. And then next week, you got Suicide Squad. And as Peter alluded to in our last Entertainment episode, we might have a pod coming for that down the road if we can get get us get our schedules worked out. So, thank you guys for listening. That'll do it for us here. Until then, we'll talk to you next time.